Hello and welcome to the Neurology Nuts and Bolts podcast, a podcast all about constructing your career in neurology. I'm your host, Dr. N.T. Vu from Drexel University College of Medicine. Today, we are going to be talking with Dr. Tara Morrison, a neuro-oncologist from the Lehigh Valley Health Network, as well as Dr. Aaron Longbreak, a neuroimmunologist and associate professor at Yale University. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. So we're going to tackle some side gigs in pharmaceutical companies. Now, this is a topic that seemed to be really taboo as a resident. I had very little exposure to what kinds of relationships that physicians had with pharmaceutical companies when I was a resident, and I only really heard about it on their disclosures during Grand Rounds. It was only as an attending that I got to learn about the kinds of work that people were doing alongside their clinical work, and even then these were side conversations attending to attending. I'm really hoping that we can make things a little bit more transparent today for our listeners. Let's start by getting a little introduction and talking about uh, what are the different roles that you've had in the past. Let's start with you, Dr. Morrison. What are the roles that you've had in the past uh, in regards to working with pharmaceutical companies? Uh, I have had several roles with both pharmaceutical and device companies, both in terms of advisory boards, talking about how to market medication or what uses we see for a new medication. I have worked with them on the launch of uh, medication for a new indication, uh, as well as doing speakers bureau work for both pharmaceutical and device companies in order to uh, promote uh, the use of their device or their particular medication. I tend to work more in the oncology field so my, the companies I've worked with have tended to be for oncologic-related conditions. Okay, so it sounds that, you know, the two of the things that you've mentioned that seem to come up are advisory boards and speakers bureaus. Is that correct? Yes. Dr. Longbreak, uh, do you mind uh, speaking to your experience? Sure. I've worked with pharma in a number of different capacities. I have likewise done advisory boards and some speaker bureau work. In addition, I have received investigator-initiated grants from pharmaceutical companies. I've worked with pharmaceutical companies on both investigator-initiated and pharma-sponsored clinical trials. And I've also served on um, an advisory board to them for development of future products that are in development. So those are really exciting ways to be involved. So it sounds that you have had some experience in working on them from the research end as well. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a, definitely a research-oriented person. <laughs> That's great. So what do each of these roles, let's start with, say, advisory boards. What is the work that a physician typically does on an advisory board? Well, I first was invited to serve on an advisory board when I was a fellow. Um, I did a, a long fellowship, a three-year fellowship, and towards the end of that, I was invited to be on an advisory board for a pharma company, and I had no idea what that meant. So I asked my mentor, I said, what is this? What are they asking me to do? I don't understand. And she said, oh, you know, that might be fun. Um, you know, you can, you can do it. You can feel free to do it. Um, her one piece of advice to me was, if you decide to do consulting for pharma, just be an equal opportunity consultant consult for all the companies, just not one or two. Um, so I said yes and and went into that ad board not knowing what I was really getting myself into. But 
Um, it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, they bring in 12 to 15, 20 people who are experts in a field. In my case, this was multiple sclerosis. And we sat in a room and we talked about MS for eight hours. And we argued with each other about the best way to treat MS. We talked about our own viewpoints about how we viewed the space, how we viewed the treatment options. And it was actually a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot about other people's practice patterns I made collaborations and connections with people that I now work with and collaborate on other types of grants and projects. And uh, honestly, I felt like it was just a tremendously valuable opportunity. That sounds like really, really exciting and interesting work. Now, uh, Dr. Morrison, what about speakers bureaus? Um, What sort of work is done uh, in a speakers bureau? So speakers bureau work can be quite involved. You can do as much or as little as you want Generally, the pharma company or device company will give you a set of slides that you have to present to a room full of people who are not as knowledgeable about the product as you are usually. And they give you the set of slides and they train you on how to present. They actually do have, uh, you know, coaching sessions on how to stand up in front of an audience and make the most of that opportunity, how to present yourself, how to stand, how to use your hands, uh, making sure that you're making eye contact with not just the one person in the front row, but the entire room. So it, it is very educational from that standpoint in terms of then being able to get up at Grand Rounds or being able to present a poster at an academy session. It, I found it very useful for me from that standpoint. But they go through the slides and you are expected to go to the slides and you have to stick with what information is there. You're not supposed to volunteer your own personal knowledge of it. It is supposed to be according to the FDA handout for that particular device or medication. And then you present it to the crowd. You are generally fed well. Your travel is paid for uh, to get there if it's out of town. And you meet a lot of interesting new people uh, in different fields that you normally wouldn't encounter in your everyday life. You are able to discuss your own personal experience sort of at the end after you've presented the the slides that are mandated by the company, but uh, that is not meant to be an official part of the presentation. It is more a question and answer period at the end. Dr. Longbreak, to come back around to one of the last ways that we'll talk today about being involved with pharmaceutical companies, in regards to the research aspect of it in grants and, and that part of it, were you approached by the company or did you approach them or how did that work? It has gone both ways for me. Normally what happens is that there will be various company representatives that reach out to you and say, hey, can I talk to you? And again, when this first started happening to me, I was like, why are all these people emailing me? I don't understand. I also don't understand why there's two or three people with every company. But it turns out that they have a commercial representative and they have what's called a medical science liaison and they're more of the scientific representatives. And the building relationships with the medical science liaisons often leads to opportunities where the MSLs will say, you know, our company has interests in XYZ. 
uh, from a research point of view, do you have any ideas on those fronts that you'd like to present to us? Um, and then I would say, oh, you know, I was thinking about doing this small project, which in all honesty, I was planning on doing by myself for free. And they said, oh, that's interesting. Why don't you write that up? Why don't you submit to us a one page paper and we'll see if we can come up with some funds for it. And so I've done that on a couple of different occasions and ended up getting uh, some some money for things that I was going to do anyway. It comes with mild uh, paperwork attached to it. So you have to kind of report in and let them look at your poster before you submit it. But uh, those are generally minor. So you mentioned a little bit about getting grant funding, which um, certainly is a wonderful motivation for doing this sort of work. Um, are there any other motivations aside from like, you know, some nice financial compensation to doing this sort of work? I find the pharmaceutical industry actually to be really partners with us in the science of pushing our field forward. The industry is the one who drives the clinical trials. Industry is behind a lot of the uh, major steps forward. And interestingly, industry is doing a lot of very good science behind the scenes in the background. You may not see this published as much. You may not see it presented on at conferences to the same degree, but they are doing it. And we've actually had a lot of very productive collaborations with industry in doing these scientific ventures. So you meet people who are very good scientists who are doing important work. You position your own science for better visibility um, from people who could take it to the next level and get it applied to the real world. And so I think all of those relationships are actually very important. So Dr. Morrison, from your end, what were some other motivations for doing uh, this sort of work as regards to advisory boards, speakers bureaus, and the other sort of work that you've done? I, I think for me, it was particularly for speakers bureaus for making sure that people were educated about the particular rare diseases that I work with. Uh, as well as the treatments that are available and uh, some of the complications that can arise, trying to, you know, talk to neurosurgeons about different chemotherapy drugs that can impair wound healing in a patient with a brain tumor that they need to operate on was important. It also led to meeting new people and getting to expand, you know, just my circle of acquaintances. It was uh, a lot of fun. I worried about it at the time. I was nervous when I, when I first started, mostly because I didn't think I was smart enough or good enough to do it. Of course, being very early in my career for the first time I did it, you know, you, you're an unknown quantity. No one knows who you are when you're first starting out. And so, you know, I still worried, even though they assured me, you will be the person in the room who knows the most about this. We promise you, it, you still have that little bit of, of nervousness that you're not good enough. Uh, and it helped me to learn that I was. So that's a wonderful benefit. You talk a lot about how, you know, the speaking coaching helped to improve your confidence in public speaking, but even this to reassure yourself that really you are in some ways, the smartest person in the room about that topic. That's wonderful to hear. Now, you mentioned a little bit of some of the hesitations you had before starting this work. Were there any other hesitations that you had in developing relationships with these pharmaceutical companies? You always worry a little bit about conflicts of interest and how it's going to affect your ability to work 
for example, in clinical trials. Uh, and also, at the time, I was had just been appointed to the IRB of my institution, and so there were some concerns about would there be conflicts of interest with reviewing clinical trials for the institution about that might involve this company, if not necessarily my drug and my indication. Uh, so you, you do worry about that. The, the other thing I hesitated about was, am I going to have the time to do this? Uh, starting out uh, as a relatively new attending, having a young family, was I going to be able to fit all of this in with call schedules, babysitters, life. You know, it did work out for a while. In the end, uh, I just couldn't keep it up. You know, I gave up most of my pharma and device company associations other than just friendship. Uh, But it was really good for me when I did it. I just uh, no longer had the time, particularly as my kids got older and there was more school stuff to start attending. Uh, It just wasn't possible. So I think work-life balance is a challenge for all of us. Really, it's sort of work-life priority and what kind of takes priority at that point in time. Dr. Longbreak, did you have any sort of hesitations in regards to getting involved from the research standpoint? And do you feel like that it got in the way of your primary job or other opportunities from that standpoint? You know, I think we all think about, is this putting me in conflict? Am I going to be biased? And we're all pretty, we try to be very honest with ourselves about that. Um, so I, obviously I thought about that, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think it was a drawback. Um, and I, I'm not uh, sorry that we, we did pursue these relationships with the pharma. I think the, uh, the, the point that Tara made about time and work-life balance is also a really fair one. There's things that you just have to say no to and things that sound fun and interesting that you just don't have time to do. But I, I have found that I'm able to say yes to some things and I choose to say yes to some things and no to others. So I usually will do a couple advisory boards per year. Um, I choose the scientific advisory boards over commercial advisory boards. There's a difference between the two. One focuses on the science, the other focuses on how the product is marketed. I find the scientific ones more fun. So those are the ones I choose to say yes to. And I choose to say yes to some, not all. Uh, I tell the MSLs that I'm interested, feel free to ask me. I'll do it if I can. Um, and I've, I've stepped away from speaker boards. Those are, that's not something that I am as interested in. So I don't choose to spend the time there. So it sounds that, you know, these advisory boards are more of a shorter time commitment of maybe a single day or so. And speakers bureaus are a little bit more of a longitudinal commitment. Is that correct? I would say so. Absolutely. Uh, you know, an advisory board might take you know, uh, Saturday and a Sunday morning, and then you're flying back home Sunday afternoon. Whereas the Speakers Bureau, there's the initial time commitment to get trained and learn the slide set. And then there's each individual speaking commitment. And uh, I found that with the group that I was working with, as more and more data came in for longitudinal effectiveness of the agent, they had to keep updating the slide set, which meant I was going back every three or four months to be re-educated on the content of what I was supposed to be talking about. I spent more time being educated on the content than I actually did speaking engagements. 
And that was one of the reasons that it just, it didn't work out having to spend a weekend in Atlanta every three to four months to do one or two speaking engagements a year just didn't seem worth it. Although I had a lot of friends there, but it it just wasn't worth it. (laughs) Were you uh, compensated for your time in both the training as well as the speaking engagements? And were you compensated for your travel as well? Yes, they compensated for travel time. Uh, You know, they paid for the hotel. Uh, They would pay for, you know, to and from airport transportation. For one particular one, they actually sent a driver from New York to my home in Philadelphia to pick me up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning and then drove me home at the end of the day. Uh, So it, it, they do, you know, take care of you during this. You are not expending your own money unless you want to buy souvenirs. (laughs) Now, um, let's talk a little bit about how does the average physician find out about these opportunities and get involved? You know, is that something that you find out about in fellowship? How early can people get involved in these things? I think, uh, well, I got involved as a fellow, but I think that was probably on the earlier side. And I think those of us who train at high profile academic institutions probably have some benefits in those regards because the um, medical science liaisons or MSLs are, are, are very motivated to know who's working at those institutions and to make relationships with them. I think probably most people who do get involved do so relatively early in their career and, uh, you know, kind of fellowship, early attending type of, of roles. In general, you initiate those conversations by saying yes to some meetings with pharma when they email you to say, hey, I don't know, can you meet with me? Some of those conversations are just, here's my drug. And I say, yes, I know. Um, but other times, uh, you, you can take that opportunity to say, you know, I'm really interested in the science of your product. I'd love to meet with your medical science liaison. And when you meet with a medical science liaison, so those are in general, the people who put your name forward as an advisory board member or put your name forward as, um, a consultant or a speaker's bureau. So they will say to you, what are you interested in? And you will say, I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z. And they will often then just come back to you. Um, if you do well on one or two things, they will always ask you to do more. If you utterly bomb something, they might not come back. So doing a good job the first time. All right. So for our last question, I'll field it to you, Dr. Longbreak. What is your favorite perk about doing this kind of work? Well, uh, on the financial side, it's always nice to have some mad money. Um, they, these gigs do pay and uh, they take care of things. But I actually think that it's made me a better neurologist and a better neuroimmunologist. And that's um, because it gives me a broader perspective um, on how other people practice their their medicine. And we're always a little bit constrained by where we train and who we're exposed to in terms of mentorship or teaching physicians. And working on these kinds of opportunities has introduced me to a lot of people I wouldn't have already Uh, wouldn't have ordinarily come across. And so I've learned a lot from them. And I I think um, I'm I'm very happy to have those relationships. I feel like I've made a lot of close professional relationships at pharma-sponsored events that probably would have been harder to make um, without those events. 
Well, that's wonderful to hear. I think that this information will be really helpful for all of our trainees and faculty that are interested in doing this kind of work. So again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Neurology Nuts and Bolts podcast was created and produced by Sarah Schaefer. It is not recorded as an official podcast of any institutional organization. The podcast is unfunded. Opinions are those of the individual participants. Music by Audrey Nath. Artwork by Shivani Gushal. Want more content like this? Be sure to subscribe to the Neurology Nuts and Bolts podcast to hear more about constructing your career in neurology. Follow us on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter at NeuroBolts, and on Facebook at Neurology Nuts and Bolts to stay up to date on new content and give us feedback on what you want to hear and tell your friends. Thanks for joining us.